so my name is JP. Uh, I was here, yeah, I think we were here maybe April of 2017. Uh, so it's great to be back to see many of you again. Um, we, are, we are thankful for Forest Park, uh, for you guys caring for us, praying for us, uh, supporting us. Uh, so Neil mentioned my wife, uh, Megan. Uh, she, uh, she and the kids are not able to be here this morning, unfortunately. Uh, but married to Megan, um, and we've got two boys right now. She's actually pretty pregnant right now with boy number three. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, so Patrick is our oldest. He'll turn four in about two weeks. Peter just turned two in June, and then uh, number three is due in December. So I, have a, we, I think we have a picture of the family, maybe? And if we don't, that's okay, too. Yes, great. So this is us. Um, this is on uh, Easter this year uh, near our church. Uh, so this is just on the way to church. We stopped, uh, took a picture. If you want to go to another slide, there's a picture of our church. Here we go. Um, so we meet outside on a tea plantation. So the area that we live in is uh, famous for tea. If you've got any tea drinkers here, we live in Darjeeling District, which is where all Darjeeling tea in the world comes from. Um, so we meet outdoors on a tea plantation. Um, I've been uh, serving as a pastor in that church. It's, it's a young church. We've been there for just a little over a year, meeting together. Um, and there's one local brother who's serving with me as well as a pastor. Uh, so I've been discipling him. Uh, and, and really for us, most of our work is just in the life of this one local church. It's uh, sharing the gospel in uh, community with them, so bringing some of those in the church to go with us to share the gospel in the villages there with their families and friends, starting evangelistic Bible studies in nearby villages, uh, myself and Megan pouring into and discipling believers there. Uh, and so it's, it's not really anything super fancy. It's opening God's word. It's studying it with them, uh, reading it together. Uh, but the Lord's blessed that. Uh, our church has grown uh, since we started in June of last year. There were six of us meeting together, and now we've got about 30. Um, so it's been encouraging uh, for the Lord to do that. Yeah, thank you. If you would pray for, uh, for these believers, except for two, all of them are recent converts from Hinduism or Buddhism. And so there is just a, there's a huge need for discipleship, uh, for more training, and just all kinds of major worldview issues that, um, you know, here, if, if you share the gospel with someone and the Lord works in their heart, calls them to faith, opens their blind eyes, gives life to their heart, they've already got a lot of just kind of the categories of how the world works, just living here. And so there's a lot, that a lot of discipleship that needs to happen still, but a lot of big worldview things you can count on. Um, but we have just, there's, there's a lot of need there. Uh, so that's most of what we do is just, just with uh, these dear saints, uh, walking through life with them, caring for them. Another big part of the work is in, uh, as Neil mentioned, providing theological education uh, for rural church leaders there. Um, so most uh, pastors in the world don't have access to any formal theological education. Uh, so that's something I do about eight to ten times a year, is meet with groups of uh, tribal pastors 
and uh, work through uh, just, just teaching them uh, how to study God's Word, how to preach, how to present it, how to care for their people. So we have another picture, I think, of one of these. So this is a couple of the brothers there. Um, yeah, one of the trainings, and then we've got, I think, one more. This is, uh, we just finished a cycle of eight trainings uh, in one of these places. So this is at our graduation. Um, so it's been uh, just a blessing uh, to really walk uh, with these dear saints and uh, care for them, help them. Uh, Neil mentioned we're at the, we're, we live in India, but we're close to the Nepal border. So some of this is happening in Nepal, some in India. Um, in Nepal, there's recently been uh, laws passed against uh, sharing your faith and against conversion. So that's specifically aimed at Christians. Uh, some of the pastors that have started this with us have since been arrested and are in prison uh, for sharing their faith. So you can pray for them. Pray for the Lord to work in India and Nepal both. Um, there is a wave of nationalism, and with nationalism is uh, it's a specifically Hindu nationalism, saying anything else is not really who we are or where we're from. And so there's been a, a really a lashing out against uh, Christians and the Christian work there. So you can pray for them. Um, you can pray for us as well. Uh, Megan and I went f about five years ago, we left in December 2014, uh, to join a team. As we're on the way, uh, the whole team was taken aside by the Indian government and kicked out of the country. Um, so we landed thinking we were joining a team and ended up starting a team. Uh, we have a family that's coming to join us. They actually leave tomorrow uh, to start language school in Nepal. Uh, so you can pray for them as they go. Um, and then, Lord willing, we'll be back there after uh, the birth of the baby. It takes six weeks or so to turn around birth certificate, passport, visa, and uh, plan to go back uh, in the new year. So if you would lift us up in those ways, um, there are a number of ways that you can be involved in the work. One is that there's always a need for more people to go. So if that's something that you want to do, come talk to me, talk to Neil at any point. Um, we'd love for, for some of you to come. Uh, another way is to, to uh, support through giving to the church here. Forest Park has been faithful to support us financially. So your giving to the church here supports work all over the world. So that's a, a second major way. And then the third way, so not everyone's going to go, and that's just, it is what it is, that's fine. Some of you are already giving very faithfully, and so you don't really need to change anything there. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. But a way that I think all of us can, can grow, myself included, is in the way that we pray. And so that's actually what I want to look at this morning. So if you turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to look at Daniel's prayer. We're going to really learn to pray from him. We live lives that are full of uncertainty. Most of us spend the majority of our time, the majority of our lives really, trying to control or mitigate that uncertainty. You're at work, you're trying to get that next promotion so that you can kind of control things a little bit better. You're hopefully saving for retirement, or if you're not, you're thinking, I should be saving for retirement. You've got house insurance, car insurance, all kinds of insurances. The insurance companies have insurance. 
everything, or, or not everything, a lot of what we're doing is trying to work out how do I just control this little thing that I've got here. But really, in a world that's full of uncertainty, our first response and our primary response should be to go to the one who controls all of it. Daniel, uh, many of you will know some of Daniel's life story. He was a young man. He was an excellent young man in Israel. The Israelites were carried off into captivity in Babylon. And the king took a few of the best young men and he taught them everything that he could about the Babylonian language and history and customs and religion so that they would lead the nation of Israel in those things. And Daniel was one of these young men who was excellent. And he was raised up and ended up surviving several regime changes. You know, we're not too far from D.C. here. When an administration changes, there's not usually a lot of carryover. You know, uh, when, when we had the election several years ago, there weren't a lot of people that worked under Obama that continued working under Trump. There might have been a couple, but not many. So you really got to be good to survive that. And Daniel continued through multiple regime changes, even as the kingdom changed hands, he was always a go-to guy because he was faithful. And here, we see how he survived in the midst of all that uncertainty. Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and our fathers and our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, 
The Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits on our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we look at your word, as we consider what it would teach us. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, give us hearts that long to know you and obey you. Lord, help us to be humble in the way that we approach you and the way that we confess, and help us to be faithful as we see your servant Daniel was faithful in prayer. Help us to commit ourselves to this work for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the first thing that I want you to see about Daniel's prayer is that his prayer, as ours should be, prayer is fueled by God's word. We see Daniel's example as an incredibly faithful man of prayer. We see in chapter 6, all of you know, or I assume at least most of you know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Again, there's a new king. He likes Daniel. And all of the other guys are like, this Daniel guy, there's nothing wrong with him. What can we do to get him in trouble? And so they, they really butter the king up, tell him how wonderful he is, how awesome, and they have this wonderful idea that everyone should only pray to the king. And the king thinks, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And so he makes the law. And then Daniel, knowing the law full well, continues praying. And you may read that story and think, come on, dude, just close the windows. Don't, you don't have to pray towards Jerusalem. Just go lay in your bed. They don't know if you're napping or praying. You'd be fine, right? Has anybody thought that reading Daniel 6? Well, I have. But something I discovered, I, I noticed this in my Bible readings, uh, I think it was last year. 1 Kings 8 46 to 49. You don't, you don't need to turn there now. You can just make a little note. This is Solomon's prayer as he's dedicating the temple. So remember, David wanted to build a temple to God. Before that, Israel had the tabernacle, the tent. David wanted to build the temple. The Lord told him, no, your son will build the temple. So Solomon builds the temple, and he's dedicating it. And in his prayer, he mentions, one day, your people are going to sin. They're going to go into exile. And when they pray with their face towards your temple, Lord, hear their prayer. And so we see that even the way that Daniel prayed, his habit, 
was because he just had Scripture in his bones. He knew Solomon's prayer from generations before, and he's praying in accordance with that. And then here, in our text this morning, Daniel is spurred on to pray by reading the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was a prophet. He ministered just the generation or so before Daniel. He still would have been alive during uh, much of Daniel's life. And so Daniel, first, there, there are a few places in Scripture that we see Scripture referencing other places in Scripture, especially contemporaries. It's always really encouraging. So here we see Daniel mentioning Jeremiah. In 2 Peter, we see Peter referencing Paul. So all these things that show us that Scripture is a unified whole, it's always really encouraging to see that. So Daniel, he's reading the books of Jeremiah, and he sees that there's an end date to Israel's exile in Babylon, namely that it's 70 years. Um, we can see this in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. See it again in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. So Daniel wouldn't have had the chapter breaks and the verse breaks. He would have just had a scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies. And he's reading, and he sees this. Now, as he read, notice his response. So some of us could be tempted, if we know it's going to happen, we'd be like, "Woo! praise God, we're going home. Daniel's an old man here, by the way. The, there's some discussion on the dates, but this is between year like 63 and 69 of captivity, depending on where you think certain dates fall. So Daniel is old. He was like 14 at the beginning. So here he's mid-70s to early 80s. He's an old man. He's been waiting his whole life. Now he knows it's coming. And notice when he reads this promise from the Lord, spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, what's his response? You can answer, it's a question. What's his response? He asked God to do it. The Lord says, I'm going to do it. And Daniel says, Lord, please do it. But he doesn't just pray. Look at this in, in verse 3. He says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So this is not just like, you know, tack on 30 seconds to my prayer at the mealtime, and Lord, please bring us back to Jerusalem in the 70th year. This is Daniel dedicating himself to the work of prayer. The Lord's promise to do it. And when Daniel reads that, he's moved to ask the Lord, Lord, please do it. We see a couple other places that Daniel references Scripture. Verses 12 and 13, he, he references the writings of Moses. Uh, this is most likely pointing back to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Deuteronomos. Deutero is second. Nomos is law. So Moses gave the law, and then this is him giving the law again. This is the covenant of the nation of Israel with the Lord, given again and afresh to his people. And the law, the covenant, comes with blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And so most of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy is these curses. When Israel forsakes the Lord, these are the curses that are going to come upon them. And it's, it's a, a really a long section. You can look most especially at verses 63 and 64 if you just want to get a taste of it, Deuteronomy 28. But it's really a long section of what's going to happen to Israel. 
And this has all come to fruition. And Daniel's recognizing, Lord, this has come upon us just like Moses said. All these things have come upon us. But then, if you just keep reading in Deuteronomy, we get to chapter 30, and there's a promise of restoration for Israel when they repent, when they seek the Lord. So Daniel, his prayer is fueled by God's word. It's fueled by knowing what the Lord has promised, knowing what the Lord's character and promise is to his people. So far for Far from being lukewarm in his prayers, as we can often tend to be, Daniel, when he reads the promises of God, is passionate and asking the Lord to act. So for us, there's application here. We should also make more of a practice of praying the promises of Scripture. As you're reading Scripture, some some passages lend themselves to this more easily. I think the Psalms are particularly easy to read and to pray from. If you, if you see a promise in Scripture, if you see something that is revealed as the Lord's character, just stop and pray for those things. There are some examples here. I, I, I can just give a, a couple quickly. In praying for the church, this is something that we see often in the New Testament. There's a practice of praying for the church. So as you're praying for the church globally, but even this particular church here at Forest Park, uh, there are two prayers that I think are very encouraging from Ephesians and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. We see Paul praying for the church. So when you're thinking, you know, I should pray for Forest Park, just open up to the book of Ephesians and pray those words of God for this body of believers. You can pray for yourself and for others in difficulty. Uh, we can look at uh, Philippians 1.6. It's the promise of the Lord. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you're in difficulty, when you're suffering, when a, when a friend and a brother is suffering, pray for these things. Confident. The Lord's promised. He's going to do it. So ask the Lord to do it. To work in that person's life, even through difficult circumstances, to bring about their good and His glory. Other places we could pray, Romans 8.28. Uh, we can be instructed by Paul's prayer in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Uh, I would encourage you also, because I'm here, this is my job, as you see all over Scripture talk of the nations, the Gentiles, unbelievers, and God's plans and purposes for all nations, just stop and pray that the Lord would work in the nations. There are difficult things that your brothers and sisters all over the world are enduring for the sake of the gospel. Pray for them. Pray the promises of Scripture for them as you encounter them. Pray for the advance of the gospel among people who don't know God now. I was uh, encouraged, Neil Neil told me, I guess it was a couple weeks ago we were talking, you guys really over this year have been just talking about what is the gospel. There are a lot of things The word can get kind of confused. What do we mean when we say gospel? And and you guys have just been taking time talking about what is the gospel? What What is the good news that we're here to spread? That's the work that's going on all over the world. As you guys have been going through the book of Romans, 
seeing the way that Paul describes this. So Romans, there are a few aims that Paul had, but one of them is he's a, he's a missionary. He's asking for support, and he's telling a church, this is what I'm about. When I say gospel, this is what I mean. And so Paul's letter then is the book of Romans. So this is, this is the gospel that we're here for. And I just want to encourage you, when we pray, like Daniel, when we pray in accordance to God's promises, in accordance to God's will, he answers. Uh, we can see this in 1 John 5.14. If we ask anything according to, the will, uh, according to his will, he's faithful to do it. Uh, you can look even in Daniel's own life, just the chapter over in chapter 10. We're not going to read it now. But you can look at it later. Daniel's praying again, praying and fasting for three weeks. He's fasting and he's praying. And then later, we see that in answer to Daniel's prayer, Jesus himself and the archangel Michael battle Satan to come and bring an answer to Daniel. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Come on, guys. Now, we don't often, if ever, see that kind of work in the spiritual realm. We don't know what's going on. But I promise you, when you're praying in accordance with God's will, in accordance with His promises, in accordance with His Word, there is work going on all around us in the spiritual realm. You may not see it ever. You may not see it until you're with Jesus in heaven. I don't know what we're going to know and not know. But I promise you, there's work happening. God's working. And he chooses to do this through our prayers. So this fighting of Jesus and, and Michael to get to Daniel for three weeks, this is because he's praying. So be encouraged. You may not see all the answers, but when we make a practice of, of having our prayers fueled by God's word, fueled by what he's promised, there's work that happens. Second thing I want you to see as an example from Daniel's prayer is that his prayer and our prayer confesses fully. Some of you guys have had the experience of showing up to a party and then realizing you are just horribly underdressed. Does that happen to anybody else? And you get this feeling in the pit of your stomach like, oh man, I should have just put that nicer shirt on. Should have just put a tie on it, but here I am like an idiot in shorts and a t-shirt, everybody else has got a coat and tie. And you just feel like you know you're walking around, you're talking to people, they're like, oh man, they can see how dumb I look. And you just know. So when that happens, that experience of being somewhere and you're just totally underdressed, that's just a tiny, tiny thing in comparison with what it's like for us as sinful people to actually experience God's presence. Uh, when the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God's presence, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I am undone. So this word undone is like being disemboweled. This is Isaiah's description of what it's like to be conscious of his own sin. And we see Daniel, about half of his prayer is confession. And this is not like, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. Move on. I'll tell you what I want. This is full confession. He's not sparing himself any shame. He's saying, Lord, these things belong to you, but to us 
open shame. So all that belongs to us is shame, punishment. And Daniel just puts this out there. And it's not like God doesn't know it. God knows it. And so Daniel confesses these things fully. So we can have a tendency sometimes to, to rationalize like, well, yeah, okay, I'm sinful, but every, everybody's sinful, right? So, you know, it's not a big deal. Or, uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse. I could be more sinful than I am. So this, you know, this, this stuff that I'm struggling with, it's not actually a huge deal. Or we can confess just really quickly. But shame and punishment are all we deserve. To think anything else is sinful and it's self-deceptive. So we see in Daniel's example that there is just full, open confession. Uh, Jesus taught very similarly in Luke 18. He tells a parable, verses 9 to 14. And I love in Luke's gospel particularly, Luke often tells us why he's giving us the parable. And so in Luke 18, 9, he says, then Jesus told the parable for those who were self-righteous and trusted in themselves. So in case you want to know what the parable's getting at, this is it. Earlier in Luke 18, there's a parable for those so that we won't, go, won't grow weary in prayer. So Jesus expects you to grow weary in prayer. He knows it, and he's helping you. So here in, in uh, Luke 18, 9 to 14, this is the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So the Pharisee, you know, he stands on the corner, the best place, and he lifts his hands and he prays loudly, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners. I thank you that I do all these wonderful things. I tithe. He's saying, I thank you, but then the prayer is all about him, how good he is. God, I thank you. I'm not like these people. And then there's a tax collector who stands in the back. He's far off, beats his chest, and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This one went away justified rather than the other. God doesn't expect us to have it all together, but we should recognize that. There's a great line in the old hymn, uh, Come ye sinners. Some of you guys may know it. Come ye sinners. One of the verses says, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. So the encouragement from the, uh, the hymn writer here is, don't just wish, oh man, I wish that I was better I wish that I had it all together. I wish that I wasn't struggling in these ways. Then the next line, I think, connects really, really helpfully here. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. God doesn't expect you to have it all together, but we should come to him humbly in prayer, recognizing, God, I don't have it all together. I've sinned. All that belongs to me is shame and punishment. We're not saved by our own righteousness. Praise God, this is the gospel. You, you don't become a Christian and then have just a new set of rules to keep. You become a Christian and you're saved even though you didn't keep any of the rules. You're saved because Jesus did keep the rules. Jesus, when he died on the cross, took the punishment that you deserve. And, this is an incredible thing, he didn't just take your punishment. That would get you back, if you want to think in like banking terms, that gets you back to zero. You had a massive debt, somebody paid it, now you're at zero. That's not all that Jesus did for us, though. He took the punishment that we deserved, namely death. He took that punishment, that shame, 
and he credited us with his righteousness. Jesus obeyed perfectly in all the ways that you and I screw up. Jesus was perfect. He was tempted in the same ways as we are, yet was without sin. That's why we can come to the Father, not because, God, you know, I've had a good week. I kind of got it going on. Didn't do anything bad. Did all this good stuff. Thank you that I'm not like these suckers over here who don't have it together. We come to God, even on our best weeks, we've got nothing to bring. So we come to him humbly, fully confessing our weakness and our sin because we can trust in the one who took our punishment, who took the shame that we deserved, and who's given us his righteousness. That's why we're saved. That's why we can come to the Father. Then the third point, third thing we can see here is that prayer has a Godward focus. So we're getting close to Christmas time, right? If you've got kids, they may be making their list for Santa Claus. And, you know, we know Santa Claus isn't, well, we know that people make lists for Santa Claus. Don't want to be that guy. Um, (laughs) But when we come to God in prayer, we often come the way that we used to come to Santa with a list. God, here's what I need today. Boom, 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 boom. It'd be really nice if I could just get all this stuff, not have to work for it. That'd be great. But we see in Daniel's prayer, he's not just coming to God with a shopping list. God, here's what I need you to do and how I need you to do it. But he's focusing on God. So first we see him doing this by praising God. He starts from the very beginning of the prayer with praise. And he returns throughout to praising God for who he is, for what he's done. He praises God for his character. Verses 4 and 7 and 9, he praises God for his mighty acts. Most especially the way that the Lord rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Verses 15 and 16. And this is a way that we should pray, just remembering who God is. Praising him for his character, his glory, his majesty praising him for the mighty acts that we see that he's done in Scripture, praising him for what he's done in Jesus, praising him for the ways that we've seen him work in our own lives, giving him praise for who he is and what he's done. We also see this happening in the way that Daniel presents requests and the requests that he presents. So notice, Daniel's motivation as he turns to petitioning the Lord in verses 17 through 19 His motivation is for God's glory. He asks the Lord to act for his own namesake, for his own glory. And he recognizes then, we see this in verse 18, God's not going to answer us because of any merit, any worth in ourselves. God answers us because of his mercy and his love and his faithfulness. So Daniel says, this is what I'm asking God. I'm asking that you would do this for your people Israel for your glory, and I'm not asking it because I've got it all together. This is what he says, verse 18. Uh, For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. So just remember, recognize, God's not answering us 
because we've, we've got it all together. You know, other, other religions, this is kind of how it works. This is particularly, we interact with Hindus on a daily basis. And Hinduism, the way it works is, you know, if you do this sacrifice right, if you celebrate this thing right, if you give this money, if you burn this incense, you, you know, you got it all together. And then you kind of twist that particular God's arm behind his back and he owes you. Like, you've done all this stuff and now he's got to take care of you. So you're doing all these things to manipulate God. But that's not the way that our God is. We don't have to like get everything just right and be like, boom, got you, God. Now you got to give me a new car. That's not what Daniel does. He says, it's not. We're not asking these things because of any merits of our own, but only because of your compassion. God works out of gracious love for us, for our good, and for his glory. And then I want you just to see where Daniel's prayer is pointing. So I'm going to apologize here. We're getting close to the end, and I've saved the heaviest mental lifting for the very end. I'm sorry, so bear with me. See where this is going. He's asking God to work according to his character, right? He's asking God to do this for the nation of Israel. And if you think you can see, where, where's this going? Daniel knows the end of the exile is coming, right? If you keep, if you keep reading through chapter 9, that can be your homework this afternoon. Reading through chapter 9, you can see the answer that the Lord sends to his prayer. And it's not... It's, it's much bigger than Israel's exile is over. That's a part of it, but it's, it's more than that. Daniel's prayer is according to God's character. Now, the two most fundamental things that we can say from the Old Testament about who God is is that God is holy and righteous. God is perfect. He perfectly does Everything, everything about him is holy. There's nothing unholy or sinful or wrong about him. He judges sinners. Israel's under judgment here. So God is holy and righteous. He's the righteous judge. And he's also merciful and kind. Uh, we see this laid out most clearly in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. It's when the Lord passes by Moses and reveals his character. Go look at that later. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord reveals these two truths about who he is. He's holy and righteous, and he's loving and kind. Where do we see those two things resolved? Because if he's holy, he can't just forgive sin. But it's, if he's merciful, he can't just judge everyone, right? That's the definition of mercy. Where do we see this worked out? On the cross. That's right. I, I think this points us straight ahead to the end of Romans chapter 3. This, Paul says in Romans 3, this happened at the present time so that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's Romans 3.26, but we see it working out all through that passage. God's just, he's holy and righteous and good, and he's merciful. He's just and the justifier. And We'll see at the end of Daniel 9, Jesus is actually the answer to his prayer. He's asking God to work according to his character. 
And we see this ultimately and most fully resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. This is where Daniel's prayer is pointing. Now Daniel was looking ahead to this. Hundreds of years before Jesus, but the Spirit's revealing these things to him. And he's doing it for our good. We're living on the other side of the cross. That's already happened. So we're praying from this. So for us now, we have the privilege of asking boldly that the Lord would act according to his character, according to his promises for his glory. And I want to read one verse just to close us. Read one verse and then pray. It's from Romans 8. This is Romans 8.32. So as you see Daniel's prayer, as you see that his prayer, this passionate prayer and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, it's fueled by God's word. His prayer confesses fully. His prayer has a Godward focus. I want to read one more verse to encourage you. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen? Amen. So pray passionately, faithfully, in accordance with God's word. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to sing a couple songs. Father, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that we have the privilege of coming before you as your people, asking you to work not because there's anything good in us, but because of your great mercy and compassion. God, I thank you that we can see clearly what Daniel could only see a shadow of, and that is that all of this is pointing to Jesus, who is God, who is man, who lived a perfect life, who is tempted in every single way, just like us, but remained without sin, so that he could bear the shame of being beaten, of being hung on the cross. He could take the punishment that we deserved, the death that we deserve because of our sin, and he could give to us his righteousness. God, we thank you for this grace that we find in Jesus, that we don't have to get it all just right, we don't have to get it all together, but that you've already done that for us in Jesus. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. God, I ask that you'd help us to be people who pray, to be people who live in your word and are spurred on to pray for your glory here in Southern Maryland, for your glory all over the United States, for your glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Lord, we pray that you would work Lord, bring salvation to people. This is not something that we can do. This is not something that any method can produce. This is not something that comes about because of skillful speech. Lord, the work of salvation is yours and yours alone to work through the preached word to give life to a dead heart, to call someone out of death into life. God, we ask that you would do this for your glory, that you would save a people for yourself from every tribe and tongue and nation, and people. God, we praise you that you've promised that you're going to do it. We ask that you would, Lord, that you would work in these ways for your glory. Help us to be faithful, to work to this end by praying humbly, faithfully, passionately.
Lord, be glorified in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.